going to show you a, a slide of a project that we've just launched. It's to do with this little book, which is still underway. This book is called My Father's Son. I'm going to speak to you from the heart of it today. And it's, it's the story of my own father. It's the story of my own life. But it's the story of something even bigger than that. And we're going to go there in a few minutes. And in the last few weeks, Pastor Stephen Sharon were in the, mo the room when we launched this project because I believe we need to see the relationships between fathers and their children healed because unless that happens, families won't be healed. And if families aren't healed, communities aren't healed. And if communities aren't healed, nations won't be healed. And we need to see our nations healed. You live in a great nation, but God's got so much more for it, but it needs to start in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. And today I want to talk to you about something that will open our hearts up to that. Somebody once said, if people don't know what your passion is, you probably haven't got one. I want to share with you just a part of my passion. You see, for many years, I was in youth ministry. I, I love the Sunday after youth camp. Pastor Josh, what you smelt in the mosh pit is called essence of youth ministry. <laughs> It never goes away. And I love that Sunday. I love that first service after the youth come back and to all of your teens. Let me say, you never lose the fire that started to burn in your hearts. You need it. Your family needs it. Your school needs it. Stay on fire for Jesus. For over 20 minute, years, uh, Lynn and I were involved in a ministry called Youth Alive. In our nation, it's had a profound effect on our nation and beyond. We saw hundreds of thousands of teenagers come to Christ during those those 20 years, uh, one of my sons recently encouraged me to leave completely behind Youth Alive and embrace a new season called Barely Alive. And, <laughs> and I, I spent a long time working with young people in youth camps and in conferences in all kinds of contexts. And I started to notice some trends. I started to notice some things and, and I began to speak into that and encourage young people, open their hearts to get healed by God. Around the year 2000, as that new century came upon us, God began to speak to my heart. Number one, about moving beyond youth ministry and into a local church, which we've pastored for the last 23 years. But on top of that, I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to my heart. For the last 20 years, you've been working and helping teenagers. Now it's time to help the fathers help them. And so that's where this book has come from, My Father's Son. I don't have any hard copies with me except one, one copy. And I need to give it to somebody who really needs a lot of help. Josh, this is yours, buddy. <laughs> I played go golf with Josh the other day and he thrashed me and I felt that was part of my healing process, just to bless you. <laughs> my father's son, you can get it on Amazon and, and I know it's gonna bless you. We've got audio book coming and a whole lot of other things to help men's ministries in our nation and in yours. So let me dive into what I feel the Lord is saying, not only in this service, but in this moment, to the church and from the church to a hurting world. Let's go to the last verse of the Old Testament. In Malachi, it's Malachi. You thought it was an Italian called Malachi. It's actually Malachi. In Malachi 4, verse 6, if you have the NIV, it'll say this. Speaking of the prophet Elijah, and you may have different interpretations on who that is, God's messenger, there's different contexts. We're not going to go there today. But the word of the Lord will be, 
that we need to turn the hearts of the parents. If you have a New King James or many other versions of Scripture, it will say it will turn the hearts of the fathers. It's, if you read the context and see the, the Hebrew and the original, there is more of a, a leaning towards the masculine gender. Who turn the hearts of the parents stroke fathers and the hearts of the children to their parents or else, he says what he said, I will come and smite the land with destruction. Some versions say, and I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers, lest the earth be smitten with a curse. God says there will be consequences for the human race unless there is healing between the generations. There needs, there needs to be, whether it's the sons and, or the daughters, there needs to be healing with those that have gone in the generation before them. Otherwise, the human race will be in chaos. See, God knows that there is something missing in society when there's a rift generationally. He knows that there will be consequences that affect the whole of the human race. So he gave humanity a project Fix it. Get your relationships right with your fathers. You see, deep down, everyone knows what we need to get from our fathers. And yet for a lot of us, it's missing. Many psychologists suggest that fathers today, if not missing, are irrelevant in the lives of their children. Depending on what studies you read, some would suggest that there's only 10% of children in the Western world have a healthy relationship with their father. Certainly, no matter where you look, the experts that have done the studies would suggest that people that have a healthy relationship with their dad are in the minority. For some, it's aggressive. For some, it's estranged. Others, it's, it's quite clinical. Regardless... There needs to be a healing in so many homes and so many families. Otherwise, there will be a knock-on effect that affects family lines for generations. God says, fix it. For years and years, I was a youth pastor. And over the years, I would go to court with young people that had got into trouble with the law. I began to speak to people that were in a similar field to me. I, I started to listen to, to counselors that were working in the courts with juveniles. And this is what I discovered. I've never met a young boy or a young girl that's in trouble with the law that has a good relationship with their dad. God knew that and he said, fix it. And then... For 400 years, four centuries, there was silence. There is not another recorded word from God in Scripture. There's not another word recorded in the canon of Scripture in the Old Testament for 400 years from the voice of God. Nothing is recorded. Nothing is heard, nothing is said. Prophets came, angels spoke of the coming Messiah, but from heaven, from God himself, nothing. Have you ever experienced the silent treatment? I have a better question. Who's married? <laughs> Could you imagine these people were used to hearing the voice of God? And now nothing. For a decade or two, they thought, oh, sooner or later he will speak, but nothing. 
A century comes, another comes, another comes. 400 years, and the conversations would have been amongst God's people. Will he ever speak again? If he does, when will he speak? If he does, what will he say? Drum roll, drum roll. Finally, he speaks. See, God gave us 400 years to fix this pain that was resulting in chaos. And finally, he realized that mankind in their own strength is unable to fix it. So he said, I'll show you what a healed relationship looks like from fathers to their children. Finally, after 400 years, God speaks. Do you know when he spoke? It was that moment, that rare moment in Scripture when all three members of the Godhead appear in one place at one time. It was at the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. Jesus, the Son, is in the water. The Holy Spirit is coming down upon him in a form that was like a dove, empowering him. And then a voice which sounded a lot like Morgan Freeman spoke. (laughs) It's recorded in Luke chapter 3. Listen to it. It says in verse 21 of Luke 3, he says, I I find this interesting. Luke, who wrote this gospel, is a doctor. And he, he knew the effects that some of these things in our lives had even on our physical well-being. And I find it very interesting that he documents this in detail. He says, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Big shout out to all the, twe- the teens, 81 of you which got baptized. Let me tell you something. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Jesus was being baptized, and as he was praying, heaven opened. I reckon this all went into slow motion. Verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. So Jesus is being baptized. The Holy Spirit is coming upon him to empower him. And then that voice comes from heaven. Listen to what Jesus, the Son, heard his father say. Come on, lean in, every campus, lean in. This is what he said. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You're my boy, I love you, and I'm proud of you. You're my boy, I love you. And I'm proud of you. See, God knew the failings and inadequacies of of mankind. And he said, let me tell you something. I gave you a mission. I gave you an assignment. You have not been able to fulfill it. So let me show you how to relate to your children. And in that process, he declared the three things that every child needs to hear from their father. Some of us in this room, some of us in each campus, some of us online have heard it, but so many of us haven't. You're my child, I love you, and I'm proud of you. You're my child, I love you, and I'm proud of you. I I wanna unpack those three thoughts just for a moment. When Jesus heard his father say, you're my son, do you know what that gave him? Identity. It gave him identity. Have you ever played that little game 
We played it as children, didn't we? It's called Who Am I? They've got this cool game now. You put it on your phone and you hold it and you try and guess who you are. It's a fun game trying to work out who you are. It's just really sad when adults reach maturity and they still don't know who they are. How many of you actually like parties where they tell you you have to come dressed up? My hand's not up. My sister had one of those big birthdays a while ago. You know those ones that end in a zero. And, and they said, we're going to have a 50s theme. I thought, oh, great. Lynn says, just cooperate. It's your sister. So I begrudgingly went along. And it was pretty cool. I got to admit, they had old cars from the 50s. And they had all this and that. But in the program, they had an Elvis impersonator. Actually, he was pretty good. And I really enjoyed him for about 15 minutes. But this guy, he walked like Elvis. He talked like Elvis. Thank you very much. He, 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 he sung like Elvis. And it was good. But I didn't realize he was going to do four sets. With every set, there was a costume change. It, it went on and on and on. By about the third set, I turned to Lynn. I said, everybody in this room knows he's not Elvis except him. It's just weird when people don't know who they are. But when God the Father said to Jesus, you're my son, he knew who he was, but it affirmed his identity. You're my son. You know, when Jesus was fulfilling his earthly mission, those three phenomenal history-changing years, they called him a phony. They said he had a demon. They said he was a demon. But you know what? None of that mattered. Because his dad said, you are the son of God. When you know who you are, it doesn't matter what they call you. Our identity is not in what the media says. It's not in what society, social media. Our identity is who we are in Christ. You're my child. His next one, he says, whom I love. When he calls us his child, we have identity. When he says we're loved, we have value. See, I, I'm, I'm not loved be, because of what I can do. I'm loved because who loves me? I, I, I'm loved, I have value because of who I'm loved by. The, the, the word love, I think some things lose their power and their strength with overuse. You travel with Pastor Steve, he says, I love golf, love my truck, love fishing, love my wife too. And he does. That word love, some words, we, we hear them. You see, let me give you an example. I don't speak English, I speak Australian. It's a form of English. I say tomato, you say tomato. Put the emphasis on the right syllable, people, come on. I was in South Africa and a friend of mine loaned me his car. I said, when you get down the road, turn left at the third robot. But they say, robot. You know what a robot is in South Africa? I'm looking for a thing like R2-D2. It's traffic lights. Same word, different meaning. It gets worse. We were here a few years ago and my wife, who's just beautiful and, and, and such a Christian, 
we were, we were down in, in Florida and I was doing a conference near Cape Canaveral. I said, we should go and, and have a look at this place. It's amazing at the Space Center. As we're driving in, it's, it's crazy hot. It's about 110 degrees and, and we're really casually dressed. And as we drive in, we see a sign that says, to enter here, you, you are required to wear appropriate footwear. Now, I've been to the US a few more times than Lynn and I know what some words mean. We walk up to the, the ticket office and I said, we'll have two adult tickets, please. As the woman's about to give me the tickets, my wife sticks her head in front of mine and says, is it okay if we come in? Because we're both wearing thongs. <laughs> now in Australia, you wear thongs on your feet. They're called flip-flops. <laughs> this poor woman had a meltdown and said, ah, too much information. <laughs> the word love, the word love. Do your kids a favor. Tell them you love them and you mean it. I had a friend ring me one day while I was in the middle of this project, which by the way, I got right into it and then we rewrote the whole project and I thought there's just way too much research and information and statistics in this. I pulled it all out because I want ordinary men to be able to read it. It's just a book full of stories and the heart of God. And a friend of mine rang me. He's a preacher's kid. He's my age. And I said, you know, I'm in this, right in this middle about talking about the love of God and how we need to hear from our fathers how much we're loved. And, and I heard his voice crack on the other end. He said, you know who my dad was, don't you? I said, yeah. He said, he told everybody everywhere that he loved them, but I never heard him tell me myself. It's critical. Because when we tell people they're loved, they all of a sudden realize they're valued. You're my child, I love you, ready for this one? And I'm proud of you. When we say to our children, we're proud of you, you know what we give them? Confidence, confidence. The Bible tells me that God is the glory and the lifter of my head. We can walk through every day with our head high because we are royalty. We're children of the living God. He loves us. My youngest son, who's a great friend of Josh's, is the executive pastor in our church, and he's quite an animated young fella. I remember when he was a little boy, Lynn said to me one day, can you drive him to school? I said, no problem. As, we, as we're getting close to the school gate, we pulled in, and as, as he opens his door, I said, hey, before you get out of this car, look at your father. I said, who are you? He said, I'm a champion. <laughs> I said, exactly. When you get out of this car, you walk like it and talk like it today. And he did. And I watched him walk into the school grounds because his father had told him he's a champion. But I watched other little boys and girls get out of cars. I'm not sure what they were told, but they didn't have the same body language. Some of them were told they were a nuisance. Some of them were told they were an accident of birth. Some of them were told they were painful. But my boy heard him say, his dad say, you're a champion. My dad, I'll tell you his story in a moment. He was a preacher all my life. He was just a rough, tough old Aussie. And as he got to his retirement years, he became part of the church that Lynn and I lead. And I still remember when I'd preach, he used to sit up there, the only person in church with a tie on. He was a real Christian. Blessed be the tie that binds, he'd say. 
And there are some Sundays when you're preaching and you're thinking to yourself, this is amazing. I'm going to get the podcast. And there are other days you think, I'm not sure when you're coming back, Jesus, but right now would suit me. It's like, and there are people, you know, they're doing social media and they're looking at the roof. But every now and then, on one of those rough days, I'd look up there at this old man in his 90s and he'd go. You know what that means? That's Australian for proud of your boy. At that point, I ignored the rest of them and just talked to him. (laughs) Even in your mature years, there's something about having the affirmation of your father. You're my child. I love you. And I'm proud of you. The tragedy is that not enough of us have heard that. I now do men's events and I, I do camps for, for, for men and I remember one time I, I gave the men, everyone in the room, I gave them a piece of paper, blank piece of paper, a biro and a stamped envelope and I said, I want you to write your father a letter. And I watched some men who had great relationships with their dad, they're just powering through that. I watched some who took it a little slower. I watched one man, he caught my eye and he sat there. And he just tapped on the page for about 10 minutes until he eventually just threw the pen across the room and walked out. I thought, wonder what your story is. A man came to my home as we were finishing this project and he sat with me. And I said, I'm, I'm nearly finished this. I'm just really bringing to a, to a head the whole thought about the father heart of God. And I just watched him go, hmm. I said, what's that about? And he told me the story of his own family. His father had severe mental illness to the point that domestic violence ruled their home. He said, I'm so grateful that I found a youth group and some people in that church love me and and they brought me right through on a discipleship journey. I said, wow, that's so good. I said, so tell me when you pray, how do you pray? And so he said, a man in his mid to late 40s, he said, I still can't call God father because I have such a damaged view of fatherhood. I said, so how do you pray? He said, oh, I talk to Jesus and I hope he passes it on. Which theologically is quite sound. But from his perspective, it's sad. It's sad. The disciples one day, still in the book of Luke, it's chapter 11, and they're watching Jesus pray to God. Verse 1, you'll see it in Luke 11. And they're watching him communicate with, with, the, with the Lord. And, and, and they come to him and said, Jesus, can, can you teach us how to pray to the creator the way you did? He said, sure. When you pray, pray like this. First two words. Our, our father. The Greek word, Abba, which means dad, or even more tender and more intimate, Daddy. Now, these were Jews. They're they're used to the the creator being called Jehovah, the eternal source of everything. They're used to him being called Elohim, the God of strength and power, or Adonai, master. But but to call the great creator, to call Jehovah, to call Adonai, daddy. These were Jews. This must have blown their mind. And as I read that text, I I think, I wonder what their relationship was with their own father. And you're saying, it's okay. You 
can call him dad, regardless of what your relationship with was with your earthly father, you can know a heavenly father in a completely different way. And so, for us, God demonstrates his love for us with an incredible example of how he related to his son. But then, through his son, he shows us how to relate to him as father. The, the Bible tells me in, in the book of John that Jesus came to his own people. Not many of them received him. But to everyone that did, anyone in the room has received Jesus, Bible says, to you, he's given you the power to become what? Children of God. How amazing is that? We are children of the living God. In fact, the, Paul goes a little deeper in the book of Romans, chapter 8, one of the most magnificent things. He says that God has given us the Holy Spirit, and because of the Holy Spirit, we've been given a spirit of adoption, and that spirit of adoption enables us to call him Abba Father. It's incredible. My wife, Lynn, will not mind me telling you this story. I told it publicly at our church on Father's Day last year. Her older sister is adopted. Her dad reached 99 years of age, 99 years and seven months. And he went to heaven in June last year. And I remember there was a moment when, when I uh, was asked to go by Lynn to go and pray with her dad. We knew he wasn't going to last much longer. Within a day or two, he was heading to eternity. And we went and we talked and we prayed and Lynn's sister was in the room and I still remember that, that very tender moment as we're walking out. We were walking away from that room knowing we'll never see him again this side of heaven. And Lynn's sister turned and she went over to this dear old man who adopted her as a baby. This is what she said. Thank you for choosing me. Tomorrow morning when you open your Bible... Just bow your head for a moment and say to the Father, thank you for choosing me. You've been adopted. And because you've been adopted, you're a child of God. And because you're a child of God, you have identity. You're not some accident of birth. You're not some result of something else. You are a child of the living God. You're part of a royal family. Somebody get excited. Someone online. Someone in one of the campuses. You're a child of God. This is amazing. This is amazing. And guess what? He loves you. You're not loved because of what you do, because of what you have. You are loved unconditionally, full stop. And if you ever wonder if you have any value, take a moment and think of the cross because the Bible says you've been bought with a price and that price is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son. You've got value. You are, you are his child. You are loved. And he knew there would come a day when he was going back to the Father. He said, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be like me, but he's going to be everywhere all the time. And you know, one of his jobs is to encourage you. I, li I, li I like English. I like English words, those, those little prefix. You know what a prefix is? It's those couple of little letters that come before a word. E-N means into. So when he comes to encourage, he comes to put courage into me.
and he whispers to me, the Lord loves you. You're, you're going back after these summer holidays to your school. Hear the Holy Spirit say, you can do this. You're a champion. You've got the hand of God upon your life. You, come on, you've got a mission to make a difference in your generation. Hear the Father encourage you. So today, in our limited time, I want to give you some projects. To every parent and especially to every dad in the room, whether you're at one of the campuses today, whether you're at Richmond or whether you're in Wilson, Norfolk, Seaboard Road, wherever you are, in any of the campuses, to our friends there online, I'm going to give you a, give you a job. Here's your homework. Find as many ways on as many days as you can to tell your child, you're my child. I love you and I'm proud of you. This book came out of a conference that I preached in a national tour a few years ago. Somebody approached me and said, you've got to write this. So I did. Recently, I was back in that city and a man came up to me and said, do you remember when you came to our church and you preached that message? I said, yeah. He rolled up his sleeve. He said, I'm from a very broken home. And he said, you told me the three things our kids need to hear every day. So I decided I'd never forget it. And he tattooed it on his arm. You're my child. I love you, and I'm proud of you. Find ways to do it. To every mature age person in this room, let me tell you something. There's a broken generation out there of kids from dysfunctional homes, and God brings them into our lives. Here's why. Psalm 68 tells me that our God, whose heart is towards us as a father, it says this, he takes the solitary, the individual, some versions use the isolated the lonely, he takes them and he puts them into families. Do you know what the families are that he's dotted all across planet Earth are? It's the local church. And in the local church, God wants there to be mums and dads and uncles and aunts and, and grandparents that'll just love kids. Get around some of these young people and cheer them on. Say, we're proud of you. We love you. Take them fishing. Encourage them. Take them shopping. Take them out to dinner. Speak words of life. That's God's plan to heal a broken generation. And to each of us in this room, to everybody part of this service, let me tell you, regardless of your background, regardless of what your family was like, your future can look different than it did behind you. I meet people all the time and they tell me, I'm just, I'm just not happy with our family tree. I said, I got a better plan. Instead of complaining about your family tree, plant a new one. In, in the greatest soil of all, the love of the Father. You see, hear me. I, I meet people 50, 60, 70 years of age that are still complaining about their broken home, still angry at their father. Can I tell you, there has to come a time when we draw a line and say enough is enough because hear this, hear this. When I went to college, my physics teacher told me this, to every action there is an equal and opposite reaction, correct? Let me tell you, in the kingdom and in life, here's the principle. To every decision, there is an equal and opposite consequence. You see, at the end of your days, you are not just the result of your zip code, your genetic code. You are ultimately the result of decisions you make. And the greatest decision of all is to let God come in to some of our hearts that have been hurt and broken and messed up. 
I'm the result of one decision. See, our family line could have looked very different to what it looks like today. I've only got one sister, it's just me and her. Both of us are preachers today. Our children are either preachers or school teachers. Our grandkids are cuter than yours. <laughs> We're blessed. But I want to take you back 72 years ago. 72 years ago in September. See, my father was the town drunk. He was the child of a father that had been married three times. His mother died just after his birth. His father was a World War I returned veteran, a broken man. Broken marriages, lost wife. He hit the bottle to medicate. The government was so concerned about the welfare of my dad and his older brother was only a year older than him. They took both the boys and they put them into a government orphanage. One day, their father, my grandfather, went and visited the orphanage. He grabbed them on the west coast of Australia, put them on a ship and sailed right around to the east coast. Then when they arrived in the city of Sydney, they jumped on a train and went and hid out in the Queensland bush right up north in a town of less than 500 people. And that's where the boys grew up. My father's father didn't know how to relate to him. And then he died before my dad turned 19 years of age. My father's life was already spiraling down, but by then it went completely off the charts. For the next five years, he found himself in a lot of trouble with the law. As I said, he was the town drunk. At 24 years of age, he found himself one Sunday night in a jail cell. He's lying there, still in somewhat of a drunken state, and he said, when I get out of here, I'm going to take my life. He said, nobody cares if I live or die. No one knows me. No one loves me. So he had a plan to go to his friend's house and borrow a gun and end it, end it all. So he went to that house and to his shock, his friend had loaned that gun to a cousin to go hunting. He thought, what am I going to do now? I was going to end my life. So I don't know what I'll do. It's Sunday night. That little funny group of Christians will be down on the street corner, small country town. So he went down there. My father at that stage had no teeth and was wearing no shirt or no shoes. He's standing there in an old baggy pair of shorts under a tree on the opposite side of the street watching the Christian stand on the back of an old pickup. The preacher stood up and he preached this message, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And my friends, the friends of my dad started to mock him and he continued to preach. When he'd finished, he stepped down from the truck and a little group of singers, about six of them, began to sing a song. Come home, come home. All who are weary, come home. My father broke away from the pack and began to shuffle forward. And when he got to the front of that old truck, he knelt down in the gutter 
The preacher came over to him and said, son, would you like to pray the sinner's prayer? And he said, I don't know what the blank, blank sinner's prayer is. But let me talk to God. He talked to God. He said, God, if you're real, come and change my life. In fact, start doing a work in my life by helping me be able to stand up again. My dad stood up in that gutter 72 years ago. And he followed Jesus for the rest of his life. So I wasn't born into a dysfunctional home. My father went to Bible college. He passed every exam with 50.1% with a little bit of generosity from the principal. And all his life, he was a preacher. He was my hero. Eighteen months ago, he went to heaven. And it was one of the largest funerals that I've ever been a part of. I couldn't believe how many turned out for this grand old man. I have a photo of him. And on that occasion, my sister's oldest daughter was amongst all of the kids that gave honor to their granddad. She walked up and she looked at that very photo. And she said, I wonder what the people who saw my granddad walking through that old town without teeth, without a shirt and without shoes, rolling drunk, would think about the size of this crowd and the honour we're giving to that patriarch today. And she said the only difference between that drunk and that legend is Jesus, is Jesus. And can I tell you today, there are people in this room and you've been looking and longing for love. You've been looking for it in all the wrong places. Let me tell you something. You won't find what you're looking for in a relationship. You won't find what you're looking for in a career or in any possessions. The only thing that will ultimately satisfy the cry of your heart is to engage with one who says, call me Abba. And that is only possible through the Son, Jesus Christ.